All right, let me kind of make a, a, wardrobe, a wardrobe disclaimer as we get started. I, I normally don't wear sneakers, and when I do wear sneakers, I lace them up, okay? Um, but I had some foot surgery this week, and this is the only shoe I can get on. So I just wondered, why is Gerald wearing tennis shoes up there on the platform? But at least they're green and they don't look like your kids, okay? So maybe, maybe you didn't notice that. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Follow along with me as I read. Beginning in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amenadab. And Amenadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. And from the deportation of, to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, even parts of it that we don't normally read. Parts of it, Lord, we might skip over. God, we thank you that as you told us through our study in Psalm 119, every word, Lord, in this book, every word in the scriptures, God, is inspired by you. It's breathed out by you and it's valuable to us, Lord. So help us see how in these names and in these lineages, Lord, help us see how in this family tree, um, Lord, there is much grace. Lord, there is much good in your purposes and in your plans. Lord, thank you for the family of Jesus, the family that he came from and the family, Lord, that he's drawing to himself now. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen. Amen. Ancestry.com. You've probably seen their advertisements on TV or wherever. They've built a large, large business um, out of digging into people's background. Okay, kind of going back in our family tree. Um, it was no small bit of news back in 2008 when Ancestry.com said that presidential candidate Barack Obama was related to Vice President Dick Cheney. All right? So, man, they talked about that. Seems that they could go back to 1650 to a French Huguenot that arrived in the British colony of Maryland. He had three wives, not at the same time. He outlived three wives. And, and he produced a lot of sons, a lot of children. And among his children, and he had really detailed records of his family because he was a, you know, kind of a, a leader there. His descendants included Harry Truman, Wallace Simpson, Warren Buffett, Robert Duvall, and a whole lot of other people besides Dick Cheney and Barack Obama. So they went on also to talk about the fact that presidential candidate Obama was related to George Washington, Lyndon Johnson, Gerald Ford, James Madison, George Bush, Brad Pitt, Sarah Palin, and, listen to this, Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) Is that not the coolest thing? (laughs) Now, not to be left out, Hillary Clinton, according to Ancestry.com, was related to Madonna, Celine Dion, and Alanis Morissette. That's a way step down, okay? Way step down. Now, you can't see it on the screen because the print is teeny tiny. But I have a whole folder that is entitled The Royal Connection. And it's about the Hodges Love family. And it goes back to William the Conqueror. Okay? All the way back to William the Conqueror. I would not encourage you to be too very impressed by that simply because you're probably in there too. Okay? According to Ancestry.com again, you don't have to go back very far, relatively speaking, to realize that you're related to a whole lot of folks, and we're all kind of related to one another. But my family tree goes back to William the Conqueror and comes all the way through then to, you know, to Benjamin Franklin Hodges, who was Doc, my grandfather, um, and on down to me, and then Brad and Brian and Larkin and Jack, and on down to Ellie. So you see how that works. You know, we can trace our family genealogies, all of us can, back a long way if we should choose to do so. And I think there is inside of us a yearning to do that in some ways. I think there's a longing 
in us. And I've been thinking about that longing as I was preparing for this series, just thinking about. And honestly, I'll just share this with you. A few weeks ago, um, I had no clue what we would do in December. All right. I just didn't. I didn't know what we would work through. Susan and I were sitting around talking. I said, Susan, I just I don't know what to do in December. You know, we'll finish up Psalm 119. And she said, well, why, why don't you preach the genealogy of Jesus? I thought, what a great idea, you know. And, and so credit Susan for either success. If there is success in this, credit her. If, it's a, if I blow it, it's my fault. It was a dumb idea, okay? So just that's kind of how it works. But I think there is a longing in the human heart that God has placed there. And I don't think it's a stretch to see how those longings of our heart are filled in what we read in Genesis chapter 1. We have a longing to belong. We want to know who we are deep in our heart. You know, where, who, who am I? What, what was I created to be? We have a longing to be blessed. And by blessed, I don't mean necessarily to be wealthy. I don't mean to have things. We have a longing for our life to flourish. Remember back when we studied the Sermon on the Mount. The flourishing is more than just getting by. It's more than just eking out an existence. Flourishing is having a life as we were created to have it. Okay? And we long to be blessed in that way. I believe we long to be led and be led well. By that I mean we want to be cared for. We long to be led by someone who is loving and compassionate and capable of investing in our lives and leading us to that end of flourishing. Leading us to that place where we are blessed. Leading us to that place where we understand who we are. We have that longing in our lives. And I think whether we acknowledge it or not, humanity has been created with a longing to know our creator. A longing to know our source, the God who created us. And all of those, I believe, are seen in, in this section of Matthew. I believe it's seen in all the genealogies of the Bible. And, and we do tend to skip over those names. And, and we come to this part. It's amazing. In the beginning, in Genesis, it begins with this, you know, this big boom, if you will. If you, I don't necessarily believe that. But, man, here's creation. God said it, and it comes into an existence. And then later on, there is a genealogy. There are genealogies in the Old Testament and Chronicles. So if you're going to begin the New Testament, the good news of Jesus, let's begin with a family tree and the begets. And all these names that, believe me, I had to read a lot of times to even come close to getting them right. And we tend to skip over these parts of the Bible that are hard to read or hard to understand, or we skim them and go through them fast. And like I said in the prayer, this word is breathed out by God. Every word of it. Every difficult name. Every misunderstood relationship. And these begets are important. Okay? They're important. Because in these family trees, if we will take the time to allow God to work through them. We see God being faithful to His promises. We see God being faithful to His purposes. We see God choosing and using people that we would absolutely in no way choose and have a part of what's going on. And in this, we see how God chose to come 
to come and take up residence among us. And so it begins here. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the the Biblos Genesis. All right. That's the word Genesis. This is the beginning. Now, it's not the beginning in the sense that Jesus is timeless. We understand that he's the ancient of days. But this is that lineage. This is that family tree that brings it into our context, brings it into our place. Brings it into our understanding. And as we read this and look over it for the next two or three weeks, we're going to see, oh, my word. I mean, I believe this genealogy, as others, gives us great ability to put a lot of credibility in the Bible. How do I know I can trust God's word? How do I know that it's not written by men? Because men would not do this. Men would not choose to include in their record the things that are included in the record of Jesus. Right? There's a man who is afraid and lies and turns his wife over to a godless king and claims she's his sister. All right? There's incestuous relationships. There's prostitutes. There's sexual abuse. It's a mess. It is a mess. And this is the family Jesus chose. We don't get to choose our family tree. Jesus chose it. Jesus chose to come from this. It includes men and women who did their best to stay faithful to God in difficult circumstances. There's godly and there's godless in this family tree. Good fruit, bad fruit on this tree, okay? And all of our family trees are like this. And so it's encouraging in some, in some ways. And, and I'm so thankful for this. Sam Alberry put it this way, and I posted this this week, but I love it. Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. And then he said, the family Jesus comes from anticipates the family Jesus came for. That's, that's so cool. That is so good. And that is so true. All right? Now, just think for a minute about the Gospels. Jerome and I were praying this morning during our elders' prayer time, and he told me what his Sunday school lesson was going to be on. I go, that's crazy, because he's talking about the comparison between the genealogy of Luke and Matthew. And if you think about the Gospels, John is different from other Gospels in that he, he skips the birth of Jesus. He doesn't talk much about all of that part of it. He just says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John emphasizes the deity of Jesus from the beginning. Okay? That's, that's his focus. Luke does have a genealogy, but it doesn't come until the third chapter. And his genealogy starts with Jesus and works its way backward all the way to Adam. All the way to Adam including all of humanity in that, because Luke is written to a non-Jewish audience. It's written to a Gentile audience, and he wants them to see that they are included in that plan of God. They're included in what God was doing. Mark points to Jesus as the servant, as the suffering servant, and he's probably writing to a Roman audience, also a Gentile audience. And then Matthew comes, and Matthew's writing to Jewish people. And he is, a genealogy could be seen as a resume. And he's saying, this is why Jesus is the king that you have been promised. This is Jesus' genealogy. This is his resume that proves he is the one promised. First through Abraham and then through David. He is your king. He is the king. 
And that's that's Matthew's point in this. And so it's not a comprehensive genealogy. All right. There's places where two or three generations are skipped. And if you do the detective work and start reading back through from Genesis on through, it is going to get difficult sometimes. It's going to be kind of confusing at times. And this genealogy, like others in the scriptures, is not comprehensive in that every generation is there. There's a purpose behind it. There's an intent that Matthew has in this. And the Hebrews, we saw a little bit of this in Psalm, in our study in Psalms. The Hebrews believed in and some of them practiced this, this science, if you will, or this idea of gematria. What I mean by that is they assign numerical values to Hebrew letters and to Hebrew names. And that's all through this genealogy. This genealogy is arranged in groups of 14. Remember what I read down in verse 17? The generations from Abraham to David were 14. From David to the, to the, to the exile was 14. From the exile to Jesus is 14. That number is significant. And Hebrew scholars tell us that when you add up the letters in David's name, it totals up to 14. And David's name is the 14th name in the list. All of that to say is that this gives credibility to those Jewish readers to say there's something to this. This Jesus is who the Bible says he is. I can put credibility in this resume. I can put credibility in this genealogy. Those numbers don't mean a whole lot to you and me necessarily. But I want us to focus today on that longing that I believe is deep in our hearts, that longing that we have to to belong, that longing for our family, for a family. And I believe we see that. I'm not going to start with David today. I want us to look instead to Abraham. We'll look at David next week because I'm going back kind of in a progressive way back back in time past David to Abraham because it does start there. So look at those first six verses. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, I'm not going to read through and give us all of these names again. But I do want us to think about this work that God is doing through this guy named Abram and Abraham. And that Matthew chooses to go back all the way to the beginning of the Jewish nation to remind these people who they are. And how Jesus fits into that. And for us to see how we fit into that. Because we do. We're a part of this. In Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So that you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, God told Abraham. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you All the families of the earth will be blessed. In Abraham comes this promise, this promise of a new family. God is creating a new nation. And that new nation, that new people, that new ethnos, if you will, will have an inheritance. They will have a place. They will have a land. We will see in David the promise that they will have a leader. They will have a king. And they will have a purpose. You've seen that purpose today already in Stephen Lena. That purpose is that we would be a part of that mission, that we would be a part of that blessing to all the families of the earth. So we have this longing in our hearts to know our roots, to know where we come from. And when we look to Abraham, we see that in this biblical understanding. We come into this family 
by the supernatural intervention of God. Okay? Understand that. We come into this family by the supernatural work of God. And Abraham illustrates this better than anyone. You remember Genesis 17, verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. (laughs) I love that. He said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Well, the answer is yes. In Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah, and he had, as, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. It's a supernatural birth at the beginning of this genealogy. Now, we can fast forward to where we'll be in three or four weeks, and we'll see another supernatural birth. All right? His name was Jesus. And yeah, there's a great deal of difference. We understand that. That which was conceived in Mary was by the Holy Spirit. Abraham and Sarah came together, a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman, and God intervened and gave them a son. It's supernatural any way you look at it, right? And that's what this picture is. It's a picture of how we come into our spiritual family, how we come into that family that, by the way, is the only one that will last for an eternity. Okay? You can go back in my family all the way to William the Conqueror, but one day that will end. But that eternal family, that family of who we are in Christ, does not end. It is eternal. He came to his own people, John tells us, and his own people did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he says, who, belo- who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the flesh, but of God. That's how we come into this family, supernaturally. All right? We come into this family, secondly, in the unusual ways that God would do it. And here's my point. As we work through this genealogy, Jesus descended generally from those who would not be chosen to be the one who would be a part of that family tree. By that I mean this. Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, he was not the firstborn, right? He wasn't the firstborn. He wasn't the one expected to be the heir, but he was. And that, that pattern continues. Judah was not the firstborn child of Jacob, but Judah was the one chosen. Jo- Judah was the one who got this promise in Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. David was not the firstborn. Solomon was not the firstborn. God does things in unusual ways. His ways are not our ways, right? And as you think back on your own testimony, think back on your own spiritual journey and think how God did this or did that, you'd go, what in the world? That's how God works. Supernaturally, unusually. We come into this family, those. We also come into this family a mess. We come into this family a mess. And this genealogy... Gives us some real pictures of that. 
Abraham was afraid, and he was a deceiver. He was so afraid that his wife, Sarah, would be in danger that he lied about her being his sister and turned her over to the king of Egypt. Jacob was a deceiver, and he's famous for that deception. Judah tried to hook up with a prostitute and got his daughter-in-law instead. He's in here. David? Well, I mean, we all know what happened to David. Solomon, his son, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, the hits keep coming, all right? Rehoboam, the word says he was a foolish leader. And his son, Abijah, and, and this is confusing too because in Chronicles, he's called Abijim with an M at the end. He's called Abijah in First Kings. But here, listen how God intervenes. In First Kings 15, talking about Abijah. And he walked in the sins of his father before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Verse 4, nevertheless, nevertheless, for David's sake. The Lord gave the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except the matter of Uriah, the Hittite, except for that small little matter. But the point is that here these men are messed up. Here's the other thing. There's. Five women listed in this family tree. It's another reason why you can trust God's word. No, seriously, no woman would be included in a genealogy. And if you're going to pick women, pick Sarah, you know, pick, pick good women in a sense of those that would, you know, this is my grandma. I'm proud of granny. You can't do that with some of these ladies. All right. I mean, Tamar, the first woman that's mentioned here. Go back to Genesis 38. And, and Tamar is not the kind of ancestor that most of us would point to in our family tree and take a lot of pride in. Okay? She's, she enters this messianic bloodline disguising herself as a prostitute. Now listen, she does it for good reasons, understanding the culture of the day. She did it because Judah wouldn't do what he was supposed to do according to the Levite customs of the day. And so Tamar comes in and she acts this way and we don't understand it. And it seems that, and she had twins. And, and by the way, they didn't go in order that they were supposed to go, as they're mentioned here. So you have Tamar. You have Rahab. Joshua, go read about the children of Israel entering into the promised land. And the first town they come to is Jericho, Right. And, the first, and, and, and as they come to Jericho, that first city, then we read about this, this prostitute who is a Canaanite, not a Jew. And yet, she had heard of God. She had heard of who God is. She had heard of what God had done. And she protected those military spies that came in. And, and here she is, Jesus' great, 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 great plus 24 grandmother. And she's listed in this genealogy. Ruth. Now, she's not embroiled in any personal sexual scandal. She's an honorable woman. She's a beautiful portrait of just being consistent and being faithful and being loyal. But she comes from, she's a Moabite, okay? 
And the Moabites came from when Lot and his oldest daughter went in an incestuous relationship back in Genesis 19. The Bible can be really ugly in places in some of the things that it records. And yet here this Moabite is, who, by the way, Jews had been prohibited from marrying. But because of God's faithfulness to her through her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, she's now brought into Jesus's family tree. Read the book. It's amazing. Read it. The fourth woman here is not even named. We'll see it next week. She's just the wife of Uriah. We know her as Bathsheba. We don't know her side of the story. All we know is that a king with absolute powers was a sexual predator. Can I put it that way? He did. He was an adulterer. And then he had her wife, her husband killed. And so Bathsheba is, is listed here as a part of Jesus' family tree. And then finally it goes to Mary. And Mary, being this beautiful picture of obedience, had this label of illegitimate over her and so did Jesus his whole life because of the background, because of how she came to be with child. This genealogy, listen, we come in messed up, guys. And ladies, right? And, and as Alberry said, the family Jesus came from is a picture of the family that he came for. We see ourselves in this, or we should. And just see how gracious and good God is. We come into this family by God's supernatural work. We come in different ways. We come in messed up, and we come in differently, meaning there's Gentiles, there's Jews, there's godly, there's godless. We come in according to what Paul said in Abraham in, in Galatians, the same way Abraham did. We come in by faith. We come in simply trusting God and His Word. Galatians 4.28, Now you brothers, like Isaac are children of promise. That's who you are. That's who we are. We're children of promise. Paul said in Galatians 3, Know then that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Remember John the Baptist speaking to the Pharisees? They said, We are children of Abraham. And John the Baptist was not impressed. God can raise up children out of these rocks. And that's what He did with me. (laughs) That's what He did with me. That's what He did with anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He says later on in Galatians, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs of the promise. Abraham is the picture of that longing of the human heart to be in a family, to belong, to know where I come from. And it's found in Christ. It's found in Jesus. There's so much we could see in this first, these first 14 generations. These men and women represent who Jesus came from, and who He came for. Who He came for. And He chose to enter this. Brian Stevenson is, a, is an author, he's a lawyer, he, and he works with, with inmates. He works with incarcerated men. And he said, 
You are more than the worst thing you have ever done. Do you hear that? You are more than the worst thing you have ever done. And this genealogy proves that. It proves it. Grace is how you come into this family, church. Have you done that? Maybe you, maybe you see yourself even in this brief overview of, of what we have just in these first few verses. Someone's taken advantage of you. You've taken advantage of someone. Your family is a train wreck. And everything in you screams that nothing's going to change. And even when you've tried to change... It's just the same old, same old. And that past keeps raising its head. Keeps knocking at the door. And it's two steps forward and three back. I could go on and on. Liars, deceivers, cheats. All of us in one way or another find ourselves, even in these first few verses... Jesus came to rescue us from our sin, from ourself, from our past. We talk a lot about generational sin, and it is absolutely deserving of those conversations. But grace breaks that chain. Jesus hung on the cross to pay the penalty of that sin, of your fathers and your forefathers and whoever it may be. And he, and he came to pay the penalty to free you from that chain. To free you from that. And that's the picture that we have here. Of these men and these women. Some faithful, some not. Some did well, some fell on their face. And yet God worked in and through these generations, these families, these individuals. To bring us Jesus. That's His grace. So I, I encourage you today to look to this child born in Bethlehem. To look to this one that we've sung about today. Look to him and see him as the substitute for the penalty that your sin deserves. Look to him and see that he is the life, the flourishing life, the promised life that God promised. He is the one in whom that is found. It's not going to be found in anyone or anything else, only in Christ. Turn from your sin. Confess it. And trust in Christ. Take God at His word. That's what Abraham did. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's all it took. Just believing and trusting. And He has given for us, not only as our patriarch in the faith, as our pattern. Simply taking God at His word and trusting Him. Grace is how you come in. And listen, finally, grace is our family business. Grace is the business that we've been called to in this family. God's purpose for his family, as he told Abraham, was that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's why Steve and Lena are in Asia. That's why you're in Roxborough. That's why we partner with people in Turkey and Hungary and Bolivia and Afghanistan and Russia and places all around the world. That's the calling, the family business that every one of us who have been adopted into this family have been called to. It's grace. It's taking the name of Jesus, making much of it, 
and seeing God's kingdom grow as people come and trust in Christ. That's, that's why you're here, church. That's why we're here. I'm here. Okay? We are left here for the family business of grace. And to extend that invitation and live out that life. Demonstrate that grace and invite others to share in it. Grace is our family business because Jesus is our king. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for the work that you have demonstrated that you're doing, Lord, in Steve and Lena's life. Thank you that our church can be a small part of that. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in Asia, what you're doing in Central Asia, what you're doing in Europe and South America. Lord, what you're doing around this world. You're doing it in crazy ways, God. You're doing it in extraordinary ways. You're doing it supernaturally, Lord. You're working through governments. You're working through diseases. You're, you're working through all of these circumstances, God, to bring about your purposes. Thank you for the picture of your grace that we see in this genealogy today. Thank you for, Lord, choosing Abraham, for calling him to yourself. Lord, for promising to make a great nation from him and fulfilling that promise, Lord. Thank you for those descendants of faith that cover this globe. God, may they increase. And may we be a part of what you're doing, God, to see that that increases here in this community and around the world, Lord, as you call us to that. Again, God, I pray for Steve and Lena. I pray for those believers in that Asian country. I pray for their faith to be strong. I pray for their protection, Lord, as they face persecution that we cannot imagine. I pray, Lord, that they would face it well and do it boldly. I pray that they would do it, Lord, covered in the grace of Christ. God, I pray for multiplication of that church, multiplication of those leaders. Lord, I pray for safety over Steve and Lena and their boys and their child that's not yet born. Father, I pray for you to build them up, give them knowledge in the language, give them knowledge of the culture, give them compassion, God. God, for their neighbors. Lord, give them the wisdom and and the charisma they need to speak the gospel into that culture. And Lord, give them favor in the hearts of those who hear. Lord, save people there. Bring them to faith. Plant them in churches, Lord, and grow those churches. God, we pray that for here, too. And we pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.